Today we get a real treat. Uh, I was first exposed to Jews for Jesus in the 1970s, and in 1980 I was at their headquarters for a meeting in San Francisco, and I had a truly earth-shaking experience. Yeah, there was an earthquake. (laughs) But I survived it, as you can tell, and so did the ministry. And the ministry has gone on. It's been um, incredibly powerful. It's reaching Jews all over the world, but especially exciting, and David will tell you more about that, is what is happening in Israel in recent times. Many Jews in Israel are coming to Christ. But today, David Brickner is going to present to us Christ and the Passover, and I've seen it a number of times, but I love seeing it every time because it is so powerful. So let's welcome David up, shall we? Thank you. Shalom. It's great to be back at Cole. I think this is my fourth time here with you guys, and it's always great to reconnect with people that I've met last time and meet new folks. And so, uh, you know, some people... Juice for Jesus is a brand new idea, you know. In fact, uh, you hear from time to time, it's a contradiction, Jews being for Jesus. It's like saying vegetarians for meat, you know. Who ever heard, you know, one Jewish guy walked up to me, he said, how can you be a Jew for Jesus? I said to him, well, Jesus was Jewish. He yeah, Jesus was Jewish, but then he converted and became a Catholic. All right, right? <laughs> and of course, you guys know better because of course, you're studying the book of Acts, Right? And uh, that's a Jewish book. It's a Jewish story about the church in its inception that God brought this good news to the Jewish people and then God used the Jewish people to beginning in Judea and Samaria uh, to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what's been going on for the past 2,000 years. So we represent the idea of bringing that good news back to the Jewish people from whence it first came. And I'm so glad you're studying the book of Acts. You get to see Paul and how he, though called as an apostle to the Gentiles, and aren't you glad he was, nevertheless maintained this passion and burden for seeing Jewish people come to believe in Jesus. That's the heartbeat of our ministry. And the wonderful thing that we also discover in the book of Acts and through the ministry of Paul is that this, all of this is yours. If you know Jesus... You've been grafted into the rich root of the tree of blessing, and together we share this rich heritage, God revealing himself through the fathers and through the prophets and through the festivals. This all is part of your heritage, too, in Christ. And today we're going to look at one aspect of that heritage in the story of Passover, God's deliverance of the Jewish people, this festival of redemption from so long ago that God brought the people of Israel out. And as we look at that more closely, what you'll see is that God, in doing that, wove into the very fabric of that story a picture of a far greater redemption of all the world from the Egypt of sin through our Passover lamb, Jesus the Messiah. So let's journey back in time to that first Passover story, which we find in the book of Acts, of Exodus, rather. Exodus chapter 12, we'll be reading verses 5 through 8 and 11 through 15. And if you remember at this time, Israel was in bondage. We were enslaved in Egypt, and God promised he was going to redeem us. And so he raised up Moses and sent him to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And Pharaoh wasn't willing to listen right away, and so God had to persuade Pharaoh God can be very persuasive when he wants to be, right? And so he persuaded Pharaoh by sending a series of plagues on the land of Egypt. Remember the story, there were 10 plagues in all. 
And the Jewish people were living in a section of Egypt called Goshen, and they were automatically exempt from the first nine of those ten plagues. For example, the Bible tells us that darkness fell across the land as a plague from the Lord. And yet the Jewish people living in this area of Goshen, there was light there. Or when God struck the cattle of the Egyptians with a plague, the cattle of the Israelites were spared. But that was not the case with the tenth plague, the worst plague, the death of the firstborn. In order that that plague should not fall upon the Jewish people, God commanded them to take a lamb, one for each family, and that's where we pick up the story now, beginning with verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Verse 11, in this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. So that is the historical institution of Passover. We know then that the first Passover was celebrated on the night of the 10th plague way back in the land of Egypt. But as God commanded, as we just read, this was supposed to be celebrated every year as a lasting celebration, a lasting ordinance. And so throughout Israel's history, as we did that, as we celebrated every year, there were various symbols and traditions added to the observance to remind us of that first Passover back in the land of Egypt. So that by the time Jesus and his disciples were celebrating Passover... All uh, that you see on the table, all of these traditions, all but two of the items were part incorporated into that observance. And of course, the most significant Passover that Jesus and his disciples celebrated was that one in the upper room in Jerusalem. The Last Supper was a Passover. So then how much more significant does this feast come to be for us who follow Jesus in light of all he said, all he did on that night he was betrayed? And of course, we're still celebrating Passover every year in Jewish homes, and this year the first night of Passover is April 19th. And there's a tremendous amount of preparation that goes into the celebration of the Passover. You might remember from the gospel accounts that Jesus even sent Peter and John ahead of him into the city of Jerusalem saying, go prepare the Passover that we may eat. And this preparation involves many different things, but most significantly doing exactly what God commanded in verse 15. As we just read, we were to cleanse our houses of all leaven, anything with yeast in it. So all your donuts, you know, all your bagels, anything has to go. 
But because Passover occurs in the spring, in the traditional or very religious Jewish home, it's become a time for a general house cleaning. And mom will begin weeks in advance, cleaning everything from floor to ceiling. There's even a whole different set of dishes put out for use at Passover. But we have a problem. The problem is that although it is the mother who does the cleaning of the house, the rabbis tell us only the father can certify the house has been properly cleaned. (laughs) You can see what kind of a problem we have, right? So the rabbis knew the men would be hard-pressed to get the job done right by themselves, and they wanted to ensure peace and harmony in the home at Passover. So they got together, and they thought about this problem, and they thought about it, and they came up with a solution, which in Hebrew we call bedikat chametz, or the searching out of the leaven. And here's how it works. The night before Passover, mom, already having cleaned the house of all the leaven, will take a little bit that's left over, maybe crumbs from the toast they had for breakfast that morning, something with yeast in it, and she will take it and hide it somewhere in the house. Now, the father coming home that evening will take in his hand these cleaning instruments, a feather, a wooden spoon, and a napkin. And he'll go on a GI inspection to search out the leaven and look high and and low for these crumbs. Now, if his wife has been good enough to him, she's hit it in the same place she hit it last year and the year before that and the year before that. (laughs) So that when he finally finds those crumbs, he takes the feather and with a steady hand, he scrapes the crumbs into the spoon. This is what I call heavy house cleaning. Wraps the whole thing up in the napkin. And then in religious Jewish homes, neighborhoods, you'll see the men marching off to the local synagogue. There's a bonfire burning in the courtyard. He takes the package, tosses it into the bonfire, recites a prayer, and so declares the house now properly cleaned. (laughs) An ingenious way for the men to get out of the house cleaning, right, ladies? But, (laughs) But you know something? The Apostle Paul actually makes a very specific analogy to Bedikat Chametz, this searching out of the leaven. We find it in 1 Corinthians 5, beginning with verse 6. Paul says, your glorying is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened, for even Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so we see from that very passage that leaven in the scriptures is not just something with yeast in it, it's a symbol for sin. And you think about it, the picture is there. You take a piece of leavened dough and add it to a lump of unleavened dough. What happens? The leaven permeates that lump and causes it to rise. And so sin in our lives works the same way. It causes us to become utterly sinful and, if you will, to become puffed up in our own estimation before God. And likewise, Paul says, as leaven is a symbol for sin, so the unleavened bread, this matzah which we eat at the Passover, this then is a symbol of purity, of righteousness before God. Now, ladies, I know you must be thinking it seems entirely unfair. You have to do all the hard work cleaning house, and the man gets all the ceremonial glory declaring it clean. Well, ladies, you have your very own bit of ceremonial glory, which actually ushers in the celebration of Passover itself. And and at this time, mom will take this book, which is called Haggadah. Haggadah is a Hebrew word that means the story or the telling. 
And within this beautifully bound and beautifully illustrated book is all of the story, the telling, the ceremony, the prayers associated with the observance of the Passover. And while I don't have a Haggadah for each and every one of you here today, you should have all received a brochure that looks like this in your bulletin when you came in. And if you didn't get one, please raise your hand and Usher will try to get you one. Because inside, if you open it up, you'll notice there are a number of prayers that are associated with the celebration of the Passover. We're going to recite some of these prayers, these blessings together. And the first one is recited by just the women. Ladies, it's called the Birchat Haner, the lighting of the festival candles, which, as I said, actually ushers in the celebration of the Passover. So I'm going to say this blessing in Hebrew as I light the candles. And then, ladies, I'm going to ask you to say it with me in English. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav V'tzivanu lahadlik ner Shel yom tov Amen Ladies, together in English Blessed art thou, O Lord our God King of the universe Who sanctifies us by his commandments And commands us to kindle the festival lights Now I think it is appropriate that it is the woman rather than the man who lights the candles and so brings light to the festival table. Because in the same way, it was not through a man. It was through a woman and the will of God that the light of the world came into the world. As the prophet Isaiah predicted, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of my people Israel. And at this time, our Passover celebration can begin. And Passover is observed in the home around the family dinner table. And as you can see, we recline on pillows as we eat. And that's because we're free now. We read in Exodus 12 that the first Passover was actually eaten standing up. We had to have our loins girded, our shoes on our feet, our staves in our hands, ready to take off at a moment's notice. And in ancient Near Eastern culture, only free people could recline at meal. Slaves had to stand. Once we were slaves... Now we are free, and to remind us of that, we recline on pillows. One other fact is that sometimes Passover can take four to six hours to celebrate, so having a pillow underneath you is not a bad item. (laughs) Uh, Some of you are worried now, right? Um, Don't worry, we're going to go through it quite a bit quicker here today, but uh, having the family together, it's a wonderful, rich time. If there's one festival that Jewish people are going to celebrate each year out of the seven, it's going to be Passover. And uh, it's not just a time for mothers, it's a time for fathers to take a special role. Father leads the service, and uh, he puts on this garment, the kittle, same garment worn by the priests in the temple, because he's priest of his family. And he puts on this mitre, symbolizing a crown in the ancient Near East. He's also king of his castle. And you thought I was a contestant for Top Chef, right? Something like that. Well, no, in a religious Jewish home, this is how the father dresses, Mother's father's children are invited to participate in a number of different ways, most significantly through the chanting of the Ma Nishtanada. Four questions asked by the youngest child. The answer is the Magid, which is the retelling of the story of Passover by the father. That's the Magid. And these questions kind of open up his answer to that. And that's a fulfillment of the command of Scripture in Exodus 12, that we're to tell our families from generation to generation, door to door. So I'm going to recite the first question in Hebrew and then invite you all to recite it with me in English. 
Manishtana Halila Hazemikol Halelot Shabakol Halelot on Ochlin Khamets Umatsa Halila Hazekulo Matsa which means why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights we eat leavened or unleavened bread. Why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? And after chanting all four questions, then the father responds with the Magid. And just as there are four questions which unpack the meaning or the story of Passover, so you can see there are four cups which actually serve as the outline for the service itself. Now, as we sit at the table, each of us actually usually only has one cup, but we drink from that cup four different times, and each time we drink, there's a different name and significance. And the first time, the cup is called Kiddush, which literally means sanctification, because with this we sanctify all that follows in our Passover. And there is a traditional Hebrew blessing that we say over the Kiddush. Jesus certainly said that blessing in the upper room. And then our Lord said something there directly related to the Hebrew he recited. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Borei pariha gafen Amen Together with me in English. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And then Jesus said, it is with great desire that I have desired to eat this Passover with you. But I tell you truly, I will not partake of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it anew in the kingdom. And with those words, Jesus was notifying his disciples then and now that this Passover in that upper room was unlike any previous Passover. This one would have its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Everything is now blessed and sanctified. And everything has a particular order to it as well. And Seder is the Hebrew word for order. Passover is referred to as a Seder meal. And this is a Seder plate. And despite its appearance, it's not for deviled eggs. The six compartments on the Seder plate correspond to the various ceremonial food items down through here. The first item on the plate is karpus, which is the Hebrew word for greens. In this case, parsley. The rabbis tell us that the greens represent life. And we will take some salt water, which represents the tears of life. We dip the greens into the salt water, and so we are reminded during our slavery in Egypt, our lives were immersed in tears. A life without redemption is a life immersed in tears. But we do remember that God redeemed us with a mighty outstretched arm. He brought us out of bondage and through that salty Red Sea into freedom. And so now, by his mercy, our lives have been drawn from tears of bondage. And we eat the greens to celebrate that we partake of life, redeemed from the tears of bondage because of the mercy of Almighty God. The second item on the Seder plate, <sighs> horseradish. We call it Jewish Dristan, <laughs> guaranteed to unclog the sinus passages in the back of your head. Now, the horseradish, or maror, as it's called in Hebrew, is the very same bitter herb that we read about in Exodus 12, verse 8, one of three items specifically mentioned in that passage that are to be eaten at Passover, and it represents the bitterness of slavery that we experience. So what we do is we take some of the unleavened bread, the matzah, and we say the blessing over it. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olam. Ha motzi lechem in ha aretz. 
Amen. Together in English. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then we take this bread and we dip it into the maror and get at least a teaspoon of it on there like this. And then... Not going to do it. <laughs> you know what happens when you eat this much horseradish? You begin to cry. <laughs> you have very little choice in the matter, but you see the tears that we are now shedding remind us of the tears our forefathers shed back in Egypt. And you know, this is a very tactile experience because all of us, this Haggadah tells us, are to feel as though we had been redeemed ourselves from slavery. Because if our ancestors had not been redeemed, we would not be here today. And so we enter in, we eat this. Now you'll remember when Jesus celebrated Passover in the upper room, he had said to his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. The disciples were very upset by that idea. They said, Lord, is it I? Who is it? Is it me? And Jesus said, the one who dips in the sop. That's the one. This is the sop. Guess what? They all dipped. Which one of them didn't leave him? Even Peter, who said, oh, no, Lord, I'll never betray you. Three times denied the Lord. You know, it's really important for us to remember that because sometimes we carry around a lot of guilt because we've we've denied the Lord. I, I think about Peter, who the Scriptures say after Jesus was led away, he followed at a distance. Have you ever followed Jesus but following at a distance? It's a dangerous place to be, and I know I have. The wonderful thing is that Peter was welcomed back. Peter, do you love me? Maybe even here today, if you've been following at a distance, you can hear the voice of your Jesus, your Messiah, saying, do you love me? Come on, let's not do this at a distance. And there was one who didn't come back. And in fact, in that upper room, Jesus took this bread and he handed it to Judas Iscariot, didn't he? He said to him, what you must do, go. Go do quickly. And the Bible tells us that when Judas took the bread with the sop, Satan entered into him, and he went out into the night, never to return. Maror is bitterness, toil. Next item on the Seder plate is called Cha-Ro-Seth. Can you all say that? Cha-Ro-Seth. Not bad, but you do have to get that, you know... Just don't look at your neighbor when you say it, all right? <laughs> now, charoseth is a sweet mixture. There's chopped apples and nuts and honey and raisins and cinnamon. It's delicious, but it represents the mortar that we used to make bricks for Pharaoh back during our slavery in Egypt. Kind of looks like mortar. And so you might ask the rabbi, well, now, wait a minute. If charoseth represents mortar for bricks, why is this stuff so sweet? Ah, the rabbi will say, because you see, even the bitterest of our toils grew sweet when we knew that our redemption drew near. And so we take some of the bread and dip it into the charos, maybe getting a double portion of it on there. And what we find is that as we eat this mixture, that bitter taste that was left in our mouths from the horseradish just disappears in the sweetness of the charoset, which teaches us that even the bitterest things that we all have to face in this broken world we live in, it can be sweetened by the promise, by the hopefulness of God's coming redemption. This is Hazeret, the bitter root itself, a horseradish root, but if you don't have one of those, an onion will suffice because it's merely a symbol reminding us, as the Maror does, that not only are the experiences of life bitter, but the very root of life itself is bitter. And now the last two items on the Seder plate. 
These are the only two not present when Jesus celebrated Passover in the upper room. And you'll understand why in just a moment. This is Hagiga. As you can see, Hagiga is an egg that has been hard-boiled. But Hagiga was actually the name given to the Passover sacrifice that was made in the temple. So this egg represents that sacrifice. Now we peel the egg and we slice it. Before we eat the slice, we dip it into the salt water, which represents tears. Because you see, we're mourning the fact that this is a memorial to a sacrifice that can no longer occur. A sacrifice which could only take place in the appointed place. First the tabernacle, then the temple. Jesus walked by that temple, remember, one day and said, Destroy this, and in three days I will raise it up. He was talking about his death, burial, and resurrection, wherein the sacrificial system was fulfilled through the shed blood of the Lamb of God. And yet for my Jewish people, they know that not a generation after Jesus uttered those words, Titus and his Roman legions marched into Jerusalem, destroyed the city, and destroyed the temple. And from that day until this very present, there is no appointed place. There can be no sacrifice. And so we mourn that loss. In fact, because of that, many of the rabbis tell us we shouldn't eat lamb anymore to remember this loss. And so the last item is zroah, which is the shank bone of a lamb. Reminding us of those lambs that were so central to that first Passover in the land of Egypt, but which are now so sadly absent. And we read about them in Exodus 12. God commanded that we take a yearling male lamb without spot, without blemish, without any broken bone. We were to take that lamb and sacrifice it. Which reminds us of another perfect Passover lamb who, contrary to Roman custom, did not have his legs broken when he hung on the cross. And so did Jesus fulfill this messianic prophecy of the lamb. Not a bone was broken. We come now to the second cup, which is the cup of plagues. And we don't drink from this cup right away, but rather dip our finger into the cup and drop a drop on the plate in front of us. One drop for each of the plagues God visited on the land of Egypt. You see, a full cup is a symbol of fullness of joy, and so we symbolically, our, our, we are lessening our joy as we remember these terrible plagues. The blood, frogs, lice, wild beasts, blight, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, slaying of the firstborn. Nine times Pharaoh hardened his heart, and each time God sent a plague on the land of Egypt. But the tenth plague was the worst of all. It was the death of the firstborn. Now God told the children of Israel to take the blood of that sacrificed lamb in a basin, to go outside of their homes and apply it to the doorposts, putting it on the top lintel and the two side posts. Blood of the lamb, top lintel, two side posts making the sign of a cross with the blood of the lamb on that doorpost. That night, death flew through the land of Egypt. There was weeping and wailing as never before till Pharaoh cried out, let them go, let them go or I'll die. But everywhere that the blood of the lamb was on the top lintel, the two side posts, death passed over that house. And so redemption came that night to the children of Israel in the land of Egypt. Now, because I believe in Jesus as my Messiah, And because I have by faith applied the blood of his sacrifice to the doorpost of my heart, 
When death comes to visit me, death is going to pass over me also because I have eternal life. Oh, praise God for that. This is called a matzah tosh. Matzah being the unleavened bread, tosh meaning bag or pouch. Actually, there are three pieces of bread inside the matzah tosh, each piece in its own section or compartment. And the rabbis tell us that the matzah tosh represents a unity. Three pieces of bread, one bag, three in one. And yet, there is some disagreement among the rabbis as to which unity this matzotash represents. Writing in the Haggadah, one says it represents the unity of the patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Another rabbi says, no, it represents the unity of worship in Israel, the high priest, the Levites, and the people. And on go several more explanations. Well, I believe the matzotash represents a unity also. But I believe the matzotash represents the unity of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's why. During a particular time of the Passover, we will reach into the second or middle compartment of the matzotash. Now you can ask the rabbi, Rabbi, why do we take the second piece and leave the first and third pieces hidden? And the answer is, we don't know. It's tradition. Now, take a look at this, which we call the second piece, the bread of affliction. The bread of affliction. Three things to note. First of all, this is a whole loaf of bread. And look at it. It's flat like a cracker because there's no yeast. We're so concerned that there be no rising in this bread that when we roll out the dough, we use a device to poke holes in the bread. Some of you can see the flame of the candle because it's pierced, this bread. And then we bake it at a high temperature on a rack and these brown stripes are baked onto matzah, unleavened, striped pierced. Even as our sinless Messiah was striped by the Roman whips, pierced by the nails in his hands and feet, the spear in his side. As predicted over 700 years beforehand in Isaiah chapter 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced for our diseases, and by his stripes we are healed. We take the second piece from the middle compartment of the matzotash and we break it. Taking this broken piece, we now wrap it in a linen cloth, a linen bag called afikomen, a word meaning he who is to come. Broken, wrapped in a linen cloth, this is now carried outside of the room of celebration to be hid for a time, buried if you will. And this is such an important part of the Passover. The entire celebration cannot be completed without that second piece. And we'll get back to that in just a minute. But I'm curious, how many of you have never been to a Passover Seder before? Wow, we're going to have to have one here so you can all experience it. And you'll enjoy it. But let me warn you, if you're going to go to a Passover, eat lightly that day or not at all because you are really in for a meal. (laughs) I want to assure you, Passover is much more than parsley and horseradish. We eat and we eat. Unfortunately, that's the part I forgot to bring with me today. So in lieu of that sumptuous meal, I'm going to lead you through a ceremony, not a Passover ceremony. It's a Jews for Jesus ceremony. And uh, you notice the brochure, if you take that out, you'll, the third panel is separated from the others by a perforation. And uh, this ancient Jews for Jesus ceremony is called the ceremony of the tearing of the brochure together at the count of three. 
Uh, <laughs> and just to show you how much Jewish culture you've observed, I'm counting in Hebrew, and amazingly you'll know when to rip. Get it nice and folded, because here we go. Echad, shtaim, shalosh. Lovely. Okay. Now, the larger section is for you to keep and take home with you to remember our time together. But this is the involvement section. There's a place for your name and address, boxes to check on the front and back. I want to ask you to fill this out right now. I won't think it rude if you write while I speak, because at the close of the service, there'll be a love offering for the ministry of Jews for Jesus. And if you fill this out and turn it in at that offering, you'll be able to receive our monthly newsletter from Jews for Jesus. Now, I'm just curious, how many of you already get that newsletter? Terrific. So many of you from the last time I was here. That's great. Uh, you go ahead and fill out the, the card as well and check the box that says I already receive your regular communications and just want to reaffirm my interest. We'll be really glad to know that you were here, but I also want to send each and every one of you a book that talks about not just Christ in the Passover, but Christ in all seven festivals. And they are wonderful to know, and you can really begin to experience and appreciate the Jewish roots of your faith. And so we'll send that to you along with a newsletter, which will tell you that and tell you more about how you can pray for the ministry of Jews for Jesus. Go and tell. Come and see. Love and serve. These are the ways to connect with our ministry, to pray for us, and even to get involved. If you'd like, you know, short-term missions trips, a lot of people take tourist trips to Israel, but how about coming and serving and loving on the people of Israel in Jesus' name? You can do that with Juice for Jesus. Stop at the table afterwards. You'll meet Sarah Dewey, who is part of our ministry, actually lives here in Boise, and uh, she'll help you with some of the literature that's back there. We have free and not so free. There's a card back there if you're interested in doing short-term missions with Jews for Jesus. Here's a book, Christ and the Passover, one of many back there that you might be interested in. And of course, if you'd like to be involved in Jews for Jesus through your support financially, uh, that offering is an opportunity for you to give, and you can use this to indicate the amount of your gift so we can thank you and receipt you for that gift, but you don't have to give today in order to be a part of the ministry. We need your prayers. It's a very exciting time to get involved with Jews for Jesus. And we've come through the meal now of the Passover, and I hope you've all had enough to eat, because this last part of the Passover is the most important for we as followers of Jesus to understand. Towards the end of the meal, the head of the house will say to all the children, go and search for the afikoman, that second piece, broken, wrapped in a linen cloth and hid for a time. It's a great time of fun for the kids. They didn't see where it was hidden, so they go running around the house looking for it. Because the child who finds it, oh, is it not there? No, where is it? it, Oh, maybe it's over here. Here it is. That child gets rewarded. Now, when I was growing up, it was a buck. It's gone up to 10 bucks. Talk about inflation. You get a nice $10 bill for finding the afikoman. That's for a kid who's like five or six years old. That's that's their greatest memory, I think, at that point. (laughs) But... um, Having rewarded the child, the head of the house then stands and wraps this bread from the linen cloth. He continues this ancient ceremony of the matzotash and the afikoman by taking this bread and beginning to break off small pieces, distributing to everyone seated at the table. And does this remind you of anything that occurred in that upper room in Jerusalem with Jesus? Brothers and sisters, if, if the matatash represents the unity of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why is that middle piece broken, buried, and brought back? 
If it represents the unity of worship, the priests, the Levites, and the people, why is the middle piece broken, buried, and brought back? But if the Matzatosh represents the unity of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then we know why. It's because Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was broken in death, wrapped in a linen cloth, buried in the tomb, and then brought back, resurrected by the power of God, conquering sin, conquering death, so that it is no wonder that Jesus took this bread and broke it and gave to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What a picture. What a wonder that God could reveal himself through this story. And then he took the cup. Well, now you know, we take the cup four times during Passover, so which time was it? Well, thankfully, the scriptures actually tell us. They say Jesus took the cup after they had supped. So you see, we have the first two cups, then comes the meal, The last morsel of food that is eaten at Passover is the afikomen, and then comes the cup after that, which is the third cup, which is the cup of redemption. Looking back to the redemption God brought our forefathers and forward to the redemption when Messiah comes. And Jesus took this cup and raised it up, declaring, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And those Hebrew words, habrit hachadashah, new covenant, covenant would have reminded the disciples of the only place in all of Hebrew Scripture where that phrase is used. Habrit HaChadashah. It's Jeremiah 31, beginning with verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make Habrit HaChadashah, a new covenant, with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Which covenant was that? The Mosaic covenant? Which covenant they broke? Although I was a husband to them, saith the Lord. It's a broken covenant. But this shall be the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and on their hearts. I will write it. First covenant, Mosaic covenant, was written on tablets of stone. This was to be written on the tablet of our hearts. We can't have hearts of stone. The power of the Holy Spirit writes the Torah on our hearts. Wow. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their sin and remember their iniquity no more. The ultimate condition. No longer would sin be atoned for through daily offerings in the temple, but no more, once and for all, would God forgive sin. And Jesus, having taken the bread, raises the cup and says, that which you've been waiting for, that new covenant which has been promised, has now come, and it's come in my blood. Imagine how the disciples must have felt after having celebrated this Passover year after year after year and then one day in that upper room in Jerusalem seeing its very fulfillment to imagine that God in delivering ancient Israel from bondage in Egypt wove into the very fabric of that story this picture of the greatest redemption of all and of that redemption you and I partake if we know Christ as our Savior. If we have by faith applied the blood of his sacrifice to the doorpost of our hearts, Jesus is our Passover lamb. 
We've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's exactly the fitting response of those who recognize this great salvation. We need to say so. We need to give thanks and praise to God among the nations so that all will know, which is exactly how Passover concludes. We have a big say-so celebration, and we sing hymns from the Jewish national hymnal. You all have copies, don't you? Well, you do, you know, because the Psalms are Israel's hymnal, and Psalms 113 through 118 are called the Hallel Psalms, the Psalms of Praise, sung at this time. The great Hallel, Psalm 118, is a key messianic psalm. Jesus and the disciples, the scriptures tell us, sang the hymn before going out to the Mount of Olives. What hymn? The stone which the builders rejected has now become the chief. And this is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Imagine what was in Jesus' mind and heart as he sang those words, knowing that they spoke of him and what he was about to do. And so with the hymns of praise, this Passover concludes with a cup of praise. Hymns, cup, all over the world, having sung, we drink the cup and say, next year in Jerusalem. You see, this Passover looks back to that great redemption, but it also looks forward. Maybe even next year. Maybe. A redemption still awaited. And yet, if you're here today, you've seen that redemption has come. Right? And therein lies the burden of my heart and of Jews for Jesus. So many who will go through this whole celebration on April 19th and have never seen and never understood what you've seen today. So my hope and prayer is that our being together will enrich your lives and strengthen your faith that God has revealed himself powerfully for you and for me. And my hope and prayer is that in some greater way you will also share the burden that we have for those who have yet to see. They are waiting still. And so are we in our own way. For the Bible says, as often as you eat this bread and and drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he come again. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, we, we see that you have declared the end from the beginning, that you have revealed yourself powerfully through your word and through these amazing symbols And we thank and praise you for the confirmation of our faith that provides. Lord, help us not keep it to ourselves. Help us to want to share in confidence until you come again. And we pray that today you would do your work in each of our hearts to accomplish what you want for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Thank you. Can we give him thanks? Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I love the way God has woven all of this into the history of the Jewish people and pointing to Jesus, to Christ. So, um, and God loves the Jews today, and he wants them to come to know the redemption they have in Jesus. And Jews for Jesus is a wonderful opportunity to be involved in that reaching out of God to the world.
I've asked David to give a final blessing from number six, the priestly blessing, and so he's going to give it to us in both Hebrew and English to close our service. Would you please stand? In that passage in number six, God told the priests of Israel, he said, bless my people with this blessing and they will be blessed. First in Hebrew, then in English, and we'll be dismissed. Would you bow your heads, please? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Bashem Yeshua Mishichenu Sar Hashalom. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. God bless you.